0: America and welcome to the Friday edition of the John Solomon reports podcast from just the news yes this has been an exhausting week impeachment talk and inauguration and a major security uh, crackdown in Washington where walking to your car can take 45 minutes Uh, but we made it through it we had a peaceful transition of power we are now in the battle of wills and the battle of ideas as the Biden administration imposes its agenda. And today we're gonna to have a very special guest, somebody I just love talking to. Jessica Anderson, the executive director of Heritage Action is here. Heritage Action is a, is a group on the right, they're conservative, uh, but they are not people who curse the darkness. They're no longer whining about what happened in 2020. They're no longer talking about recriminations or they're on the front line saying, listen, if you're conservative, if you don't like this or you don't like that, you can either cry or you can get to work. They're the get-to-work people. They're uh, already working on so many different things on the immigration front, on election integrity, very important to my own heart, and since we did a big election integrity project here. Jessica is going to lay out exactly what, first off, Heritage Action is doing, but more importantly, even more broadly, what everyday Americans could do. You know, this country still has all the levers of power for American people. The people are still the ultimate employers of our government, the old employers of our politicians, and I think it'll be fun to hear from her the different ways that you can get involved and the different ways that everyday Americans can make a difference. The, the An election's not the end, it's the beginning, and I, I think Jessica will make that point. too. I'm really excited to have her aboard next week. We're going to do a more extended event with uh, heritage action here at just the news a one hour event made for television it'll be on tv on our real america's voice partnership uh so you'll be able to tune in i think it's next thursday uh and on channel 219 on channel 2 uh just channel 219 on dish network channel 240 on the hulu network or you can come right to yeah justthenews.com and check it out But Jessica is going to give a preview of that as well as have a really good discussion about policy differences, actions, activities, and of course, one of my favorite subjects, election integrity. So, today, no monologue. We're going to get right to Jessica. She's way more smart and way more interesting than I'll ever be. So, we're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back for our exclusive interview with Jessica Anderson, Executive Director of Heritage Action. Don't miss this, it's going to give you a lot of food for thought if you're wrapped up in a blanket on a weekend and frustrated by the election not going out the way it turned out for you the way you wanted it this is the sort of person jessica who's going to make you feel like take the blanket off put my boots on let's go to work uh there's a lot to be talked about and it's all factual be fun so let's go to that commercial break here from our great sponsors our great advertisers and when we come back one-on-one with jessica anderson the executive director of heritage action All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest and someone that's on the front lines of uh, reviving, I don't want to say reviving, but uh, refocusing the conservative movement after this 2020 election. Jessica Anderson, the executive director of Heritage Action, joins us. Jessica, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Well, first off, for folks who don't know uh, uh, enough about her- Heritage Action, it's a tremendously powerful and influential uh, uh, political action. Can we talk a little bit about what Heritage Action does every day and and how people can get involved with it? Before we even get started with the conversation, I just want people to be introduced to, to what you do every day.
1: Absolutely. So our mission at Heritage Action is, is pretty simple. We want to turn all of the conservative ideas uh, and conservative public policy that you and I care about into reality here in Washington. And so we think the best way to do that is to have a a, a really a two-pronged strategy. One, where you're working with lawmakers, holding them accountable for the promises that they made on the campaign trail, um, articulating and arming their staff when they're doing the right thing to keep doing the right thing. And then outside of the Beltway, we have this incredibly powerful million-person-plus grassroots army that is activists all across the country that care about our country And they use their influence in their communities, with their families, with their friends, with whether it's a Trump club or a Republican club, whatever it is, they use that powerful outside the Beltway influence to advance those same goals. So anytime we're looking at an issue here in Washington, whether it's something from Pelosi's dangerous legislative agenda to now blocking something with Biden, the Biden-Harris administration, we rely on both the inside team and the outside team to get it done.
0: That's tremendous, and also just you personally. I've I've read you for years in the Wall Street Journal, the Hill, where I worked, Real Clear Policy, Broker Politics, USA Today. You've also done a lot of great public education, and just to remind folks from uh, who, who didn't know this, you also worked at OMB for uh, President Trump, right inside the Office of Management and Budget.
1: Yes, it was such an incredible two years to work for the president and to really be in the belly of the beast at at the Office of Management and Budget. You know, a lot of people don't realize how much power. OMB actually has when it comes to regulatory issues, all of the cabinet agencies' budgets. I mean, it sets the priorities of an administration. And and I love working there. I love serving the president. and, And it's really that sort of fervor. Uh, that's guided me now at Heritage Action to take on these really important battles that we have in the coming years, and certainly the next 30 days.
0: Oh, for sure. There's so much to be done. Well, one of the, I, I remember a long, long time ago when John Kasich, who had been, I think, uh, President Bush's OMB director, and he was gearing up for a presidential campaign, and someone asked, "How's this going to play?" Says, "I was already the most powerful man in the world. I ran OMB. <laughs> now I'm just running for office." <laughs> and you're right, OMB so is. True. It's so people don't know. It's it's just a, you know an alphabet soup, but it's such an important agency. And I know you did great work there, and uh, I know the president was grateful for your service to your country. All right, I want to get into the aftermath. I mean still some people are still looking backwards at the election, but obviously you guys are leaning into 2021, 2022, 2024. And I want to start with something because the optics of the Biden inauguration are very different from the actions of the Biden administration. They they put on a wonderful show on Wednesday, and there was a beautiful speech, and there was a of a call to unity, and there was these events where people are hugging and singing and a young poet, you know, who was very impressive and you know even reminded me of a young Maya Angelou. But there's Beyond the message of unity, there has been immediate action that seems to be very divisive. And I wonder if you could walk us through the things that Joe Biden has done. Not what he said, but what he's done that is, is certain to alienate and, um, and discourage you know, half the country, the, the Trump nation, the Republican nation, the conservative nation. Go through the things that most bother you in the executive orders and actions he's taken in the first 36 hours.
1: Well, first off, you're exactly right. I mean, everyone was just, all over themselves in love with with biden's inauguration but the reality is that the actions he took within hours of leaving that inaugural stage speak much louder than any words of unity that he may have espoused earlier in the day and and he did a slog of of executive orders many, many of them targeted directly at at jobs so the ones that i've been looking the most closely at this last day or two is is First, he rescinded the Keystone Pipeline. This sure. is pipeline that went from Canada through the United States. I mean, this is this was part of the Trump administration's agenda to not only provide energy independence for the United States, so that way we're not uh, just completely strangled by foreign oil, but that we can produce our own energy here in in the states, but also to produce jobs. So. When he signed this order to rescind the pipeline, it was 11,000 American jobs that were lost overnight, just like that. Mm. And these are construction jobs, engineering jobs. And a lot of union
0: jobs. jobs, right? These are blue-collar union workers in many cases, right?
1: It's all blue-collar. And, yeah. it's, and it's about one and a half, maybe $1.6 billion worth of, of worker wages that the economy was planning on for 2021. So this is a huge mistake. They should not have done this. Um, they're doing it, of course, under the guise of, of climate control, um, and it's just, it's just completely um, it's just completely out of touch with the needs of, of our economy right now of, at a time when we should be opening up, that we should be providing more jobs, not less. Why would you go and take 11,000 people out of work amidst the backdrop of the pandemic? So I have a lot of concerns um, with his decision to do that, um, and it's unfortunate because it was done with an executive action. Um, we have very little leverage tools to fight back unless Congress is able to to get involved somehow. I was struck yeah. something
0: about that, Jessica. I just want to mention this and see if you if you picked up on this. But uh, Prime Minister Trudeau in Canada is the darling of the left. He's a big climate change guy. And even he has opposed what Joe Biden did. He actually sent a letter appealing to Joe Biden. Um, when when the Canadian climate change leader also is concerned with this, it should give pause to everyone that maybe we ought to reevaluate this. That it shouldn't be such a quick turnaround. Um uh, why do you think canada i think canada has the same problem right it's going to lose jobs and energy independence from this right
1: yes i mean look honestly when you're making these decisions you have to think about two things freedom and jobs and when you look at something like this that it goes directly against the freedoms of the united states to not be dependent on foreign countries for energy and for oil and then the number of jobs i mean it's the same calculus that a country like canada has because they're going to lose jobs In their market with the same pandemic in their backdrop so it is it is it is a misguided policy choice it's destructive um it's disappointing and it and it certainly flies in the face of all of the flowery language from earlier in the day i mean he did this within like six hours of of the speech of on unity and moving america forward he took us back to the dark ages when it comes to to energy independence and certainly in, in taking away these jobs so You know, unfortunately, that wasn't the only executive order he signed uh, at the end of the day. He also um, looked at agreements of re-entering the United States into the Paris Climate Agreement. This is another one I've got major problems with. I think all conservatives should be concerned with not only is the agreement costly, but it's ineffective. Um, And the other piece of this is that it gives the biggest polluter in the world the biggest polluter in the world, not just the Western Hemisphere, but the world, which is China, it essentially absolves them from any sense of, of climate control. They're not even included. And so not only does it does it destroy hundreds of thousands of American jobs on, on the American manufacturing side, we have a GDP problem from it of, of destroying the potential for for more money to come in that will be lost because of this agreement. And then it gives the biggest polluter, China, a total free pass um, from any form of, of accountability um, on climate that they may, may seek to have. So it was right for President Trump to pull us out of that Paris agreement. It's wrong for Biden to put us back in it. Um, so that's one to watch. The other one that I think we all are, are, are really watching right now is his moves on immigration. I mean, this was This is something he campaigned on. He talked a lot about. Harris talked a lot about. I mean, this is a very liberal approach, arguably more liberal than even Obama, um, when it comes to Biden's immigration plans. What he is proposing now is an $11 million or $11 illegal immigrants pathway to citizenship. And so this is further than where Obama went. You had far less um, Amnesty International and Amnesty groups here in the United States praising this. So you you obviously look to see who your friends are uh, to know how extreme your agenda is. This is certainly that. Um, And I think we're going to need to watch very closely what he does um, as he works with Congress on this. But the beginning parts of the rules of the administration on illegal immigration were set when he signed those beginning orders. And now some of this will go through Congress. A couple other things he signed that are worth mentioning. There's some um, rescindings of some regulatory uh, work that the trump administration did he froze a lot of the regulatory rollbacks of the um, uh, two in one out rule that the president had that of course he president trump of course o- overextended that i mean he flew past that at some point in the administration it was 32 regs off the book for everyone in biden is going in the exact opposite direction of that so the regulatory agenda is certainly at stake we know that impacts everything from jobs to the economy and then, of course, we know his top legislative priority of this $1.9 trillion COVID package, which would be on top of the $3.5 trillion that we've already spent uh, in COVID-related responses, which just includes a whole slew of progressive wish lists from state and local bailouts all the way to a $15 minimum wage. So unfortunately, not a lot of good news coming out of the Biden administration date two days in. Um, and I think a lot that conservatives are right to be concerned about and right to push back on.
0: It's interesting, despite that incredible list of of uh, action already, because he's done a lot of things already as president, uh, the left side of his party seems restless and unhappy. They want more. They don't feel like he's done enough. So what happens in that dynamic? Do you think that uh, Joe Biden is going to have to look over his shoulder more than he even has to look at the Republican lines when he's uh, governing?
1: I do think that's an interesting question to ask, because you have within the Democrat Party these polls of those that are trying to be more moderate. They may represent a red district, but they're a Democrat here. They won by slim majority. You look at someone like Abigail Spanberger right. coming out of suburban Virginia, right? You look right. at her seat. You've got her. And then on the other hand, you've got AOC and the squad and Nancy Pelosi, very liberal progressives that have a very clear socialist agenda. And there is a tug-in poll. And Biden is going to try to say one thing to one group to keep them happy and say another to another. And the best thing that we can do as conservatives, I think, is, is shine a light of transparency into the infighting within the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party today is not the party of 20 years ago. It is radically transformed and it's getting more and more radical. Joe Biden may be able to try to pull it back moderately with his rhetoric. But when you look at his actions, it speaks so much louder than any words that he might say. Now, he's going to have a hard time keeping his coalition together. And I think that's something that conservatives are are going to acutely watch. And look, at the end of the day, we want what's best for the United States. We want what's best for the country, for our families, for our religious liberties, for our schools, for our businesses. And so if we can get policies that are more mainstream from Biden, that's great. I I want that. We, We want that success. But I am very, very cautious about whether or not that actually can come to fruition, because there is so much infighting within the Democrat Party from this liberal, progressive end, pulling the party further and further and further to the extreme left.
0: Yeah, that's a big issue, and I, I want to ask about something in Main Street America. You guys are so connected to everyday Americans, and that's part of the you know the strength of being a grassroots organization. One of the enduring lines or, or or messaging that Americans have taken from the last year, when big government really stepped up with, in these states, right in California, New York, all the COVID restrictions were the, one of some of the most, you know, uh, strongest actions ever taken by government against freedom. In fact, the Supreme Court had to bat down several uh, efforts to to tighten restrictions on religion, and I think it was Justice Gorsuch wrote, "We don't suspend the Constitution just because we have a That's pandemic," uh, but. Yeah. As all that was going on, we've had time and time and time again of those imposing the restrictions not following their own. Newsom and Gavin Newsom in his big restaurant bash, Andrew Cuomo up in New York, the uh, governor in Michigan and her husband. And then w- within hours of Joe Biden signing the executive order saying, everybody must wear a federal a mask on all federal property. Uh, he shows up at the Lincoln Memorial and other places without a mask. I think even Jen Psaki had her mask off at some of the briefing at the White House. Are Americans starting to see a double standard that they're what's imposed on us, are the leaders imposing it don't have to follow is does that start to become a point of restlessness in the conscious of america
1: what is it rules for thee but not for me right I
0: mean, exactly the,
1: yeah the, the hypocrisy here i mean it, it was just on full display the fact that you were rolling out a federal mask mandate on federal property and the press secretary wasn't wearing a mask like it's just i i, I don't know how you don't laugh at that and the yeah. american people see through it. They see through it. And this, this farce that we have to follow these incredibly burdensome, you know, rules and regulations from the federal government, but that the elected officials who, who drop them on us don't, just widens the divide. And it widens the animosity between hardworking, grassroots Americans all across the country that are trying to get by. And then they see their elected officials not only distrust them. But then have these incredibly aggressive actions that just hinder, you know, their liberties and their freedoms. And, and we can have a conversation about a, whether a mask is helpful or not during sure. COVID nineteen. You know, many people have had that discussion. People are having that discussion now about vaccines. I get it. But the reality is, is the federal government does not have any place in this hypocritical nature of saying, well, these are your rules, people, but not mine. I'm the elected official. You can't have a wall, but I'm going to put a wall up around my home in san francisco you can't have your guns but i'm going to have armed guards outside of my house in los angeles you know hollywood celebrity uh that was that was caught with armed guards after coming after a, a anti-second amendment rally over the summer i mean this is the hypocrisy that just drives all of us crazy um and i think the american people see through it i think that's why so many people flock to trump because he called it as it he called it as it was he called talk through the spin talked through the hypocrisy he was straight with you um, and I think people are going to be looking for that as, as the conservative movement goes forward and thinks about the policy issues that are best for the American people and who can deliver on them.
0: Yeah, such a great point. And hypocrisy is something that every person just feels personally. It feels personal when you've been imposed on and then you find out the imp- imposers don't uh, follow it. It just drives people nuts. And it's why they they want to, as I've said, drain the swamp as President Trump Uh, categorize their their anger Uh, I want to get to my favorite issue which is election integrity because I know you're not cursing the darkness you're you're leading to change the future I want to get to in a second but I want to ask you one question just why we're still on the policy stuff are there any areas where conservatives Republicans can engage Joe Biden on his agenda and do something constructive where they feel like they can move the, the country forward is it is it in infrastructure where do you see some points where maybe something good can come in collaboration between the two parties
1: Well, I think there's probably two answers to that. I wish there were more. Um, I think we've seen somewhat of a change in tone over the last three weeks from the left about their support for law enforcement. The fact that you have, you know, uh, uh, really people singing a different song sheet than they sang this summer. I don't know if this is going to stick around. I don't have a crystal ball. It may change in a week. But I think if we could get to a place where the country whatever side of the aisle you are in, that you're supporting law and order and that you're supporting law enforcement. I mean, to me, that has to be our starting point as a country that's built on the rule of law. So I think let's be hopeful there. Let's be hopeful that Democrats come to the table and recognize that law enforcement and backing the blue is what keeps our communities safe. Um, We certainly don't need, uh, you know, partisan wars around, around law enforcement like we saw this summer. So I think that's one. An infrastructure package is certainly the thing that's top of mind. I think the things to look for, though, is that it doesn't become this like grab bag of all these different policies that are just jammed together and really have no business being in an infrastructure package. That's the thing we need to avoid happening. If we want to have a thoughtful conversation about changes that need to be made to, you know, the potholes on our roads and 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 um, 5G and Wi-Fi across the country, let's have that debate and let's do it in a way that prioritizes not only American jobs, but our American economy, so that we head in the right direction in our rebound from this pandemic. And so there could be opportunities to come together on that. Um, And certainly we should go out of our way to look for them. But, you know, I work in Washington. I, I, I abide by the Washington golden rule for conservatives, which is Trust,
0: but verify. Sure. The old Reagan, absolutely. The Reagan doctrine, absolutely. All right, I want to get to election integrity because, you know, there's an us and them thing where people say there's no fraud and then the, uh, the conservatives say, well, there, there was all these irregularities and the truth is that there were enormous irregularities. There were entire... Um, rule changes made to the election that legislatures never sanctioned. And therefore, I think increasingly will be ruled unconstitutional. Sadly, well after the election, Wisconsin Supreme Court has already delivered one landmark decision that exempting 200,000 people in Wisconsin from the voter ID requirements for absentee ballots was unconstitutional. A pandemic didn't give everybody the right to say I'm homebound and do it. They're going to be more like that. But, you know, there have been two approaches. There are some that are cursing the darkness. Right. We lost. It's unfair. You guys are leaning into the future. You're trying to change the future. The past is the past. You're trying to lead to the future. Tell us what you're doing on the election integrity front and how it can impact 2022,
1: 2024. Well, first off, I think we all just need to take a pause and collectively recognize that we as Americans, as voters, we deserve to have an electoral system that we can have faith in, that we can trust the integrity of the election, the legitimacy of the results. And that's exactly what was, so broken and shattered in the 2020 election, and it's going to require a comprehensive strategy to correct it. It's not going to Good be this, this this quick thing that's just fixed overnight. And I really think that there's kind of two severe consequences that we're dealing with that we have to handle separately, and then eventually they come together. The first is recognizing that when there is fraud, it jeopardizes that the election is free and fair, and not only is the vote delegitimized, but then we as voters we're discouraged from participating in the electoral process. And so you've got two problems um, that need fixing. So I think one, in the short term, we've got this HR one. This is the this is Nancy Pelosi's progressive plan to federalize the entire election system. And this is this is really the worst of the worst when you look <laughs> at elections. This is her saying, okay. Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, you made these additional allowances of convenience. It's called voter convenience. You made these additional allowances of voter convenience because of COVID. Not only are we going to make it permanent, but I'm going to add a bunch of other stuff in here to federalize the election process. So I'm going to do things like, instead of having a photo ID card to vote, you just need to have proof of identity. So that means you could have something as simple as like a cable bell, right? right. And then you vote. So big problem with that. You look at some of the other pieces of HR one where it forces states to restore felon voting rights. It automatically registers 16 and 17 year olds to cast ballots in federal elections before they even turn 18. It creates all of these different actions that just expand the federal footprint over election law because it federalizes the system instead of having it in this state by state process. Now, yes, every state is different. Therefore, it's more complex and there's legal stuff. But that's the beauty of federalism. And H.R. 1 just absolves that. So the word on the street is now the House is in in recess next week. They'll be in session the week after. The rumor is that H.R. 1 is going to come to a floor. I think conservatives need to be acutely focused on working to ensure that H.R. 1 does not get a vote on the House floor. And I think to do that, we need to be talking to as grassroots americans right now we need to be talking to some of these vulnerable democrats that are in red districts every everyone from like a ron kind in wisconsin to a katie porter in california to sean patrick mahoney in new york sandberger virginia yeah, mentioned sandberger, right yeah colin alger in texas i mean there's a long list there's about 20 democrats that are in red districts they need to hear from us but this is not okay that federalizing the election system is not okay if we, can hold back, if we can hold back Pelosi's desire to advance H.R. 1, then it will allow us to have this second-pronged approach, which is to fix some of these state laws. And so when we look at the list of states that were the most vulnerable around their election laws, and I'm talking about Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, even, some, even some parts of Florida, certainly Nevada, Michigan, Arizona – Every single one of these states has a different set of problems that need fixing. And some of that fixing is going to come from ballot initiatives. Some of it's going to need to come from direct state-based lobbying. But as as the first step is having a a grading rubric where we can look comprehensively, is your state ready for the next election? Here are the 15 criteria to tell you yes or no, and then here's where to fix it. A ballot initiative, a, a state lobbying effort, something that the governor can do and then and then we can literally systematically go state by state to make some of these corrections i think that this is going to take a year or two i don't think this is going to be done you know quarter one of this year some state legislators recognize their problems like a state like iowa they're already trying to fix and clean up their books north carolina the state legislators there they're like they they are so laser focused on this. Yeah, they are. But they, you know they're going to fix some problems sooner than later georgia georgia was a national disgrace They're going to look closely at this. So we need to make sure, I think, as grassroots Americans, to put the pressure on these state legislators to make the changes where they can, where they need to. Because if not, this erosion of public trust in the election system is just going to get worse. And and we're not going to find our way out of it. And not only that, but we're going to have elections that are selected by fraudsters and not chosen by the people. So we've got to have this kind of one-two punch where we, block hr1 from federalizing the election systems here in washington and then we start tackling some of these state laws and and that we're transparent that we tell the american people the changes that we are making as we make them so that way we build back that trust so that you voter in georgia you voter in north carolina and wisconsin and in pennsylvania wherever that you can actually trust that your vote is safe and secure and it wasn't just rigged and stolen at the end of the night so you know, we've got a lot of work to do. I think this is the best way to do it. Block HR one and then start tackling some of these state laws and to do it in a real systematic way where we start with a report card, everyone lay everything on the table, what are the changes and then who what body of the legislature makes that change that's needed for your state?
0: So important. And you mentioned the legislators that meant most of the states you mentioned are under Republican control when it comes to legislators. And I, I've talked to many state legislators who said, man, we were asleep at the switch. We didn't realize that the, what the Wisconsin Election Commission or Governor Evers was doing in Wisconsin or what the uh, consent decree in Georgia occurred. We didn't realize they were changing our intent. Are you engaged at the state legislative level? And are, are these legislators, particularly Republicans who control both houses in most of those states, are they ready to, to reclaim their right in, in, under the Constitution to set the rules themselves?
1: very much so i think you've got not only state legislators that realize that they've been asleep at the wheel that they need to do more that they need to take an audit of the books and really understand the election law but then also like the technology that's around the election the procedures that are set at the precinct level the waiting period for ballots i mean it's it is a long list of things and a long list of responsibilities that state legislators have and so They're waking up to this. They need support from grassroots Americans to take this serious. And I think we need to go in as a group like Heritage Action. And of course, there are others that are doing this so well that can go in and and talk them through the legal stuff and where to make the changes and to get this done, because we cannot have another election in 2022 where we've fundamentally lost Trust and that we, we, we can't trust the legitimacy or the outcome. We, we cannot go through this again as a nation. So yeah. I think it has to be the top priority. I, I really do. And I think, you know, we're going to have policy fights here on the legislative side. We're going to have nominations moving through from Biden's um, cabinet and his agenda. Obviously, Pelosi and Schumer will have a legislative agenda. We're going to be stretched as a country of activists to, on one hand, follow that and try to stop it where we can. And on the other hand, really look specifically with these state legislators, with these governors to make the changes that are needed to make our election laws safe and secure.
0: One last question on elections, and I know you gotta go. We're gonna continue this conversation next week, because next week, uh, Heritage Action and Just the News are gonna have a very special one-hour event where we're gonna talk a lot more about the agenda and what conservatives can do to change the future. But I wanna ask you about this. This is the first election, certainly that I'm aware of, where a major donor, donated hundreds of millions of dollars, not to a candidate, not to a political action committee, not to a party, not even to a 527 group. They donated it directly to the election judges, the election rulers, the uh, election workers. And we're talking about Mark Zuckerberg and his um, uh, group that put $350 million to try to influence the the, the judges and the conductors of elections by giving them lots of money and then setting rules. Do you think there's an appetite in America to cut off that form of in, injection of money into our election system? It's not going to candidates, it's not going, it's not even publicly disclosed unless you have FOIA. Is is that an area that isn't part of your election integrity agenda?
1: I think it has to be. And I think the reality is, is when you look at a situation like, like the Zuckerberg uh, donation, this is this is the this is the law evolving. These are not issues that America had twenty years ago yeah, great and point. so yeah, and so we have to we have to be willing not only at the federal level, through Congress but through the courts to to go in to answer the hard questions around this. is that okay you know facebook Facebook tries to have it all the different ways, right. They're nonpartisan. They're a public utility. They're a private company. Like they, they say all those different things. And, and you, at a certain point, that just can't stand. And I think you have to have courageous leaders like what we see with Senator Holly and Senator Cruz that are asking these hard questions about tech, big tech's role in our day-to-day life. And, and that's where the law has to evolve and we have to be able to, to meet the country's changes with a legal response. And so, I think Congress needs to look at this through not only their hearings and their jurisdiction, but I think it probably needs to be looked at through the courts as well and to understand if this is okay. And if it is okay, then what are the guardrails for it? But if it's not okay, there needs to be consequences for it. And so I think the American people are fed up with this. I think this is what builds more and more distrust and more and more of a divide. Um, And these are the exact sort of changes that I think need to be part of our comprehensive strategy looking forward the next two years.
0: Such a good point. Well, we're going to continue this conversation next week with our very special event that uh, we'll be having. And uh, Jessica, in the meantime, when people want to follow you personally, when they want to follow what Heritage Action uh, is doing, what's the best way for people to get connected?
1: Well, first and foremost, you can text ACTION to five one seven seven six. So, no, 51776. You can text action to it. And That's you'll easy get to latest... remember. <laughs> yeah, you can 51776. Text action to that number. You'll get all your updates right on your phone, call scripts, who to call, when to call, what the latest votes are, and you can stay up to date with the Election Integrity Project as well. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Jess Anderson too, or our website, heritageaction.com. And, John, I'm so excited for our big event next week. I think this is going to be. The exact sort of conversation we need to have with all the key players talking about how do we fight the Biden agenda and what's next for the conservative movement.
0: Yeah, we are, too. It's a very exciting event. Great experts. We can't wait to uh, to uh, hold it. And uh, we'll be writing about it and learning from it for weeks afterwards. So, Jessica, thank you for all you do. And I'm certain we're going to have you back on this program pretty soon. So thank you again. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and, and to all the listeners for all the hard work out there. This country is great. And God bless you and God bless America.
0: You too, Jessica. All right folks we're gonna to go to quick commercial break when we come back. We'll wrap things up for the day. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about
1: all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
0: All right, folks, that wraps up the last edition of John Solomon Reports for this week. What a week it's been. I'm exhausted. I'm sure you are, too. We're going to get some rest this weekend, try to rejuvenate the batteries. Come back Monday with some more breaking news. Next week, we will have a significant amount of new information from the declassified documents. I also have some new documents that aren't from President Trump's declassification, but came from a different source who had them declassified. We're going to have some news breaking out all over just the news, all over John Solomon reports. Uh, Some interesting stuff about Andy McCabe, the former deputy director, acting director of the FBI, James Comey's right hand man. We're going to have some interesting revelations about him and his documents and his text messages. We're going to have a lot of fun with Stefan Halper, the the former uh, informant, the second informant, not Christopher Steele, the other informant in Russia collusion. Some of the instructions uh, that the FBI was giving him. If you thought you might believe James Comey said we weren't spying on the Trump campaign, I bet you're not one of them. But if you were one of them, listen up next week. Check us out at John Solomon Reports and JustinNews.com because we're going to show you what spying really looks like what the FBI really did to embed itself in the Trump campaign so it could record people, learn secrets, tattletale on the Trump campaign, and send it back to the FBI. These documents are explosive. I was on Sean Hannity earlier today's radio show, and I've said, you know, I've gone through these documents now for about 72 hours. We're breaking one story a day and putting the documents out for everybody to read. I think there's a lot of interest in them. But here is one of the things I thought about. These documents, the ones that the president declassified and some of the others have given me, Are to um, judicial integrity, are to civil liberties, I believe, what the Pentagon Papers were to the Vietnam War. That's how explosive, important, in depth, revelatory these documents are. So come back next week. We're going to spend a lot of time with them. We might take a couple shows and just do specials about the documents. So much to learn, so much to be uh, broken out, so many exclusive news. I'll be on this weekend with uh, Maria Barta-Rome on the Sunday show. Check me out there. And then next week, we will be back in the saddle here. Many more exclusive stories to break with you, documents to share. We're not trying to make up your mind. We're about informing you, not indoctrinating you. We'll give you the information. You get to make up your mind. We're going to give you news. We're not going to give you noise. We're really lucky to have you in our family. We thank you so much for all you're doing for us by listening and reading and watching. And I ask that you uh, have a blessed weekend. May God bless you. May God bless this great country of America. We'll be back on Monday.